it has become so soothing that I am walking to the Italian market. I get a cappuccino at Anthony's. Um, I get a bottle of local wine at De Bruno's. I go to Toluto's and I pick up, you know, whatever two cases of pasta we're going to have that night. And I throw it into my canvas bag, get some flowers at Walter Pine on the way back. And like, I've set a Friday night dinner table, essentially. And it just like, it makes me feel very connected to these Sunday night dinner tables that my family had while I was growing up. It's not the same. I don't live with my entire family. You know, we're not out on our patio in Brooklyn. Um, We don't have our my grandfather had this wine and ginger ale cocktail that he had every night that I would make for him, little five-year-old me, like, let me serve you. It's not that anymore, but it's, it's close. It's pretty close, I think. Welcome to yet another episode of Amuse Bouche, a podcast full of big ideas served in small bites. I'm your host, Kehlani Palmasano, and this week I'm joined by Anne-Marie Dooling, who gave me an incredible introduction to the Italian idea of dolce far niente, the sweetness of doing nothing. But before we dig in, I want to give a big thank you to everybody who has been listening to Amuse-Bouche and who has been following along on social media. I am so grateful for all of you, and thank you so much for the wonderful feedback that you've given the show so far. Now, if you've been listening and enjoying Amuse-Bouche and you're not subscribed to the podcast, definitely hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you can, please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other passionate foodies find the show, and I so deeply appreciate it. Okay, back to our programming. This week, I'm talking to Anne-Marie Dooling, who is absolutely a digital pioneer. She's built an incredible career bridging the gap between news organizations and online audiences. These days, she's an engagement experiences product lead with the Wall Street Journal. If you get any newsletters or experience the Wall Street Journal in a digital environment, chances are she's had a hand in getting you the news that you can use. As you can imagine, this can be a very demanding job, but Anne-Marie has plenty of creative outlets that nurture her soul. She does burlesque, she's a fledgling magician, she loves antiquing, and she cooks. As an Italian-American living in Philadelphia, she spends a lot of time in the Italian market sourcing great local ingredients to make amazing Italian meals. She recently wrote a story for the Wall Street Journal called How Being More Productive Starts with Doing Nothing. It's all about the Italian concept of dolce far niente, which means the sweetness of doing nothing. And it gives readers tips on ways to decompress and embrace that nothingness, which of course includes the leisure art of cooking a meal. Anne-Marie, what does dolce far niente mean to you? Yeah, so I have been, like everyone, uh, working long, long hours, very, very long hours, and I'm very tired. And so it's been really hitting me that even in my off time, I'm doing things that are work, essentially, like self-care is actually work now. You need to go out and get your language books or you're doing puzzles. And, you know, if you're doing them, difficult puzzles, it's still work. You're thinking um, or you're writing for fun. You're learning a language. And all of this still felt like work. I just haven't felt like I took any downtime. Um, but I, you know, I, I try to think back to my family a lot. And I think about 
part of the best times of my life were when I was sitting on the patio in Brooklyn with my grandfather and my grandmother and like sniffing tomatoes that had just come out of the yard and essentially doing nothing, um, which is really, you know, goes back to being in Italy and having a town square and just sitting in the town square and having a glass of wine with everyone and getting to know people and hearing about your neighbors. And we don't really necessarily do that so much anymore. So I wanted to make sure that I was including some parts in my life that were about actually doing nothing, um, which dolce far niente means the sweetness of doing nothing. Yeah. So it yeah. Started, it's just, I wanted to just have time when I wasn't learning something, if that makes sense. It, it does. And it's just, um, I feel like in American culture, we put a value on all of our time. Like our time is actually quantified and there's yes. almost like this dollar amount in our minds of like, even in our spare time, people have side hustles, side gigs to make extra income. But not only that, there is this um, active relaxation that we like to do. And I feel like there in during this pandemic, it's now been over a year. Facebook is reminding me <laughs> that it's been over oh, yeah. a year. And I just remember people, you know, picking up new, like you were saying, new skills. Oh, I'm going to learn a language. Oh, I'm going to work out a lot. Or, oh, I'm going to launch newsletters and me like podcasts. Oh yeah, let's launch <laughs> podcasts. Sure. Because I have the time. Uh, <laughs> um, but, you know, how do you not feel guilty for the passive time? That's a really good question. And honestly, it's something I'm still trying to figure out myself. I don't think I've quite got it down yet. Um, but it's it's funny. There's a writer, Jenny O'Dell, and she wrote a book called How to Do Nothing, Resisting the Attention Economy. And she's thinking much more from the perspective of someone who is just online all the time. So not even physically doing things, but just being at mental attention constantly. Um, and something that she called to mind that really resonated with me is she's like, okay, we're going to go out and like do our afternoon walk. It's a pandemic and everyone's like big on their evening walks. We're going to go outside. Yeah. And it feels like you're not doing anything, but everyone's got a Fitbit and everyone's got a step tracker and you give yourself these arbitrary goals of like 10,000 steps or like two miles, whatever it is. And you're still competing and you're still doing work even when you're just taking an evening walk. Um, and that really resonated with me because it's so true. Like you'll go out for a walk and you're like, I'm not being productive. Should I be checking my email at the same time? Um, but she she gets much more into it politically, whereas I was really trying to think of, about it from a, a mental and a neurological standpoint. Um, but her book is fantastic. I really recommend it. And she gets into like who should feel guilty about how time is spent and how most of the people who do feel guilty about how they're not being productive every second are people who need the breaks the most. Um, and just like who is allowed to feel okay taking time off, which is a, a bigger subject than I am equipped to, to take on. Um, but really, it makes you think a lot about that. And it gave me sort of the courage to say, I do deserve to take time off. I shouldn't feel guilty. I do a lot of things and I won't get better at any of those things unless I let my brain relax. Absolutely. I, you know, you hit on a point where um, 
there is leisure activities that are almost a trap. Like we're not actually being leisurely, like with going for a walk and checking social media and checking email while walking. I, I So many people I see, especially walking their dogs and they're letting their dogs lead and they're just in their phones. And I fall into that trap too, because I listen to podcasts when I walk and it maybe mm. it's a little bit more passive, but it's almost for me, it's like, oh, I still want to absorb information. I still want to keep up to date with the news and the latest conversations in our in our society. And, you know, to just go for a walk without earbuds in my phone is it's a it's that's a that's a big change. And um, in your Wall Street Journal article, you actually interviewed some specialists about the benefits of uh, of this taking time off this dolce far niente. Um, can you tell us a little bit about uh, what some of those benefits are? Yeah. So there is a professor at the Oakland University in Michigan, Dr. Barbara Oakley. She is my new role model for life. Uh, if you go to her website, she's got pictures of her like at the Arctic Circle and climbing mountains and just this is someone who has accomplished things. And she teaches a very popular online course on Coursera about how to learn better. And before you even get into the first course about learning, she explains about how the brain works um, she, she, I think really was a lot of the inspiration for me to continue to write this. Cause when I started to do research, I was like, is it actually good for your brain? Like I feel better after doing nothing, but is it just sort of a placebo effect? And she really solidified for me the understanding that there's parts of your brain that index information as it comes in. And then there's parts of your brain that recall the information. So when you are constantly taking knowledge in, the parts that look for the information in the library, the librarian looking for the book, if you will, it's harder for that librarian to find the book. There's too much information. They haven't gotten a chance to clear out the old books that you don't read anymore, clear out the ones that aren't serving you anymore. Um, and it makes it actually harder to recall information. So I thought that was very beneficial because we do sort of, you know, we, we quantify our off time with like, I'm going to learn a language or I'm going to read my email. Yeah. But just to think about how that's not the best downtime. The best downtime is literally doing not a thing, um, <laughs> yeah. which is so hard. You're like, well, how do you do nothing? Do you just sit in a chair? And in that course, um, Dr. Oakley brings up a really interesting, um, really interesting anecdote. It was Thomas Edison who used to sit in a rocking chair with ball bearings in his hand, just rolling them around in his hand and just rocking in this chair. And of course, you're just sitting rocking in a chair, you're going to doze off a little bit. And as he would doze off, the ball bearings would slip from his hand, fall on the floor and wake him up. And oh, wow. so, yeah. And so for that time that he was just rocking in the chair, dozing off, his brain is like clearing out and moving things around and making better connections. And he would wake up with some of his best ideas. So that got me thinking like, you could you could literally just sit in your chair. You could, you know, play a, a mindless game on your phone like a Tetris where you're just kind of flipping things back and forth. Um, there's one I like called Luna where you just like color things in when you click on them and it's very calming. Ooh. 
Um, that sounds so satisfying too. There yeah. is something satisfying about some type of progression. That's why I really enjoy puzzles because yeah. it's, I'm searching for the pieces and when they fit together, it just feels really satisfying. I love the feeling of it. I love the sound of it. Uh, yeah. But it's kind of true. Sometimes um, when I'm writing, I'll get into this rut and I'm just staring at a Word document or I'm flipping between tabs, just mindlessly scrolling through social media. And I sometimes have to step away to be like, you know what? I can't, my brain just feels like an empty toothpaste bottle. I can't squeeze anything out. Why don't I just go for a walk? And it's literally as soon as I step out the door, I'll get to the corner of our street and it'll hit me. Oh, the words like finally start to start to come. So I'll take out like my little note app on my phone. And, and it is, it's in those moments of stepping away from the work where I actually get most of the work done. Uh, How do you know when it's time for you to do nothing? It should be baked into our schedules. Um, Something that really hit me I'm sure you've done this before. I felt so stupid until I saw someone else say this. Um, someone tweeted on the internet. She's like, I, you know, I'm, I'm done with Twitter. Let me close this tab and open a fresh new tab of Twitter. So let me just head, <laughs> you know, sometimes you're so like burnt out that you're like, oh, let me close Twitter. Let me see what's happening on Twitter. And you literally open the same exact window. Um, this happens to me so much more than I'd like to admit. And those are the moments when I'm like, I need to just close the computer is mm-hmm. what I need to close. Like, great. I'm, I'm not being productive at all. And now it's time to step away. Um, that's a very clear indicator, I think, that it's like enough is enough. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it should also be built into your day. So you always hear people say, I have my best ideas in the shower um, or in my dreams. That's a great way to start. Um, I'm not advocating for, for wasting water in any way. But I think <laughs> if you just took like five minutes extra in the shower, or if you just took a a bath after your shower for like five minutes, or if you just like sat manually drying your hair, if you build it into things you already do in your day, it seems less distractive and you feel a little bit less guilty. Um, Jenny O'Dell said that she first started because she was so burnt out. She was taking a nap and she was facing her window and noticed a very beautiful bird. And then the next time that she was sitting on her couch facing the window, she saw the same beautiful bird. And she was like, I want to come back and like find this bird. I want to watch this bird. And so she started looking up the bird and waiting for the bird to come and finding all the information and, and watching him. And that was her impetus for taking the time and building that habit in. For me, other than like showers or things I do, I like to make old-fashioned coffee um, in a percolator or a mocha pot, something that's not an instant um, Keurig click of a button, something that's a little bit more, you have to wait for water to boil, you have to grind the beans, you have to measure out the the beans, you've got to put it in the pot, you've got to wait for it to get hot. Um, It doesn't take that long, but the first few times you do it, you're like, this is forever. I could be doing (laughs) a million things, I got to walk the dog. I got to make breakfast, but it's five minutes. It's really five minutes. And just doing that has become, for me at least, a really, really simple joy. Oh, that's so lovely. Yeah. I mean, it's 
it can look like when you see too many steps of something like, oh, grinding the beans, measuring it out, you know, measuring out the water, putting it into the coffee pot. It seems like a lot and it seems like it takes too much time. But in in actuality, like five minutes is not that long. Same with like sometimes half an hour, sometimes just sitting for half an hour. You don't realize how long it is until you're like almost intentionally using that time either to, like you said, like maybe prepare a meal, cook something, do something leisurely. Sometimes just like um, I have a friend who on Fridays, she does this, uh, we have this accountability system of um, it's unpacking me time is what she calls it. So every Friday at noon, this, this group of people like hop onto Zoom and everybody's like, okay, are you ready to do nothing? We're all stepping away from all of the things that we have to do. And it literally is only 30 minutes. And then we all come back and discuss like, oh, did we have any aha moments? Did we, how did it make us feel? What, what did you do with your time? Um, and even if it's just like something like yoga or something like that, and it's, it's crazy to me how 30 minutes doesn't is not that much time but it feels like a long time and so much can happen in that space but is is making the coffee for you is where do you get like most of your ideas do you have a leisurely activity where you're like I'm gonna go do this thing because this is when I have my aha moments coffee is the big one and I feel I so I used to like so many people right now I'm very thankful that I have a job and I yes. want to make the most of having a job. I'm yes. very grateful. And so that took the form of me, at least in the beginning of the pandemic, waking up and immediately running to my desk and doing as much as I could because I'm just so grateful. And I know so many people have a difficult time. But it's really not good <laughs> to just do that. And, you know, let me check one email turns into suddenly it's 1 p.m. and you haven't been up. And, you know, there's so many detriments to your body when you think of that. There's so many detriments to your mind. So for me, making a cup of coffee in the morning is a better way to clear my head and consider what I have to do for the day ahead. So that's sort of one aspect. And then for me, the other one, I realized I had a lot of useless downtime in my day where I would maybe have two or three big tasks, but I'd have a meeting in 20 minutes. And you know you can't start a big task. So you're like flipping around the internet or like answering (laughs) emails like because you can't start anything in that time or like waiting for a bus or waiting for a coffee, like things that you're waiting. Um, For me also, it was when I commuted to New York, you have to get to the train station with 20 minutes ahead. That's 20 minutes that you're absolutely burning. So for me in those little pockets of time, if I'm home – I have been moving away from my laptop and taking my phone to my bed. And if anything happens that I need to be there, I can just get up, I get the alert and I'm I'm there. But if nothing is going to happen in that 20, 15 minutes pocket of time, I can just sit on my bed and look out the window. Um, oh, that's sometimes, nice. Yeah, it is actually really nice. Like, you know, it never occurred to me. Um, and it also helps because you're switching the size of your screen, um, which is just a nice way to exercise your eyes. You're moving your body. You're elevating your feet. Um, it's just a different format of working because I'm still attached. I'm five feet away from the laptop, but I'm not at attention. I'm not right. like in that form you put your body in when you're getting ready to Zoom or when you're like looking up notes and you're stressed about something. I'm just in bed. 
and I just have my feet up and, you know, I'm not far enough away that I'm disappeared, but in these moments of time when there's nothing else that you can do, they're really great opportunities to just sit and relax and do breathing and just be. Oh, that's, yeah. Oh my goodness. That sounds so, an easy luxury. <laughs> a luxury, exactly. For, yeah. But, you know, it's, it's a thing that, uh, you know, it's, it's still, it's good for you. And, um, it, it, and in your Wall Street Journal article, you list a few recommendations. That's what I really loved about the article was like, oh, it, this is a thing that I know I need. Here are the benefits of it. And then here are some recommendations. There were taking naps. There were taking the leisurely walks. There's the... Um, playing a game. Playing a game oh, on your yeah, phone. Yeah, playing a game. One. Then Lunch there was... Um, oh, oh, and then, of course, cooking. Yes, and so, so like when you're cooking, it, there was a um a recommendation that was like, oh, don't invest in like a really heavy heart like to do recipe with a lot of steps, and it might seem really tempting to make something extremely elaborate, but to rather like do something a little bit more casual. Like, what's your like casual dolce far niente recipe? It's so funny because I I think most people don't see this recipe as easy. And I'm dying to get your opinion because you just made it the other day. It's cacio e pepe. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and that was my first time doing it. <laughs> see, I, it's so funny for me. I don't know if it's because I grew up with it, but I see people who are like, I'm learning today how to make cacio e pepe. And there's the science of like getting the right starchy water and the right consistency of cheese. But also, like, if you think about the meal, that was a peasant meal that, like, they were throwing together whatever they had. So it's so funny to me to see it, like, in the New York Times and on Bon Appetit because I'm like, this is just something that you've got a pot, you've got pasta, you've got the water that the pasta makes as a result of cooking. <laughs> right. Just throw some cheese in there. Like, just throw throw it in. Go ahead, throw it in. Yeah. Um, just the dicing so that it's thin cheese so that it'll melt evenly the stirring of the pasta, these sort of repetitive calming motions. Um, sometimes I'll even like throw diced tomatoes in there. Ooh. Yeah. Those oh kind of just mindless. I already know how, what's going to come out. I know the three or four steps I have to do. I'm not like measuring it to an exact science. It's super calming. Um, and actually the Dr. Oakley even said like if you're making something where there's quite a bit of chopping or like that kind of preparation, that's a really great way to take some downtime. Um, obviously, don't hurt yourself, pay attention, but <laughs> right. you know, just like chopping a carrot or like getting some onion prepared to throw into a soup. Um, those are just really easy ways you're making a meal. And then like sit down and savor the meal, sit at your table, get a big glass of wine, throw some music on. I've been lighting candles at the dinner table like I'm fancy now. And oh just, my like, have goodness. A dinner. Yeah, yeah, turn it into an occasion. It just makes it so much more special and intimate and no devices, like no devices at the table. Oh yeah, but the cache pepe, um, 
that was my first time trying that recipe. It was an online class uh, with that yeah. the woman, Casey Korn, who does every year, she does March Macness, where she teaches oh. all of these, yeah, all of the, these different types of uh, mac and cheese recipes. That and makes sense. It is the original mac and cheese. It is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, and it it was, it seems like it's so intimidating, but it really, like, when she showed you step-by-step, like, how to make it... Um, it was relatively easy, but what I really liked about it was, yeah, there was this, not demand, uh, but you had to be at the pot the entire yes. time because you're constantly yep. whisking the cream with the flour and the cheese and the, like everything to make that, you know, creamy cheesiness. Yeah. Um, and it was such a satisfying, but it was a way too big of a portion. <laughs> oh yeah. For yeah. two people, but it was, a, it was a lovely meal nonetheless. Uh, but yeah, I, I've... Like sometimes with cooking, I feel so overwhelmed because I think I put I personally just as a freelancer uh, push myself to the absolute limit and try to squeeze as much productivity out. And I don't know why I still feel like, oh, like not chasing projects, but um, I'm always highly um, active because I would I don't want to miss out on projects or opportunities. Yep. So it's like while you're working on a project, you're also planning future projects and it might be the beginning of May, but you're trying to also like oh, schedule yeah. out projects through June, July and and uh so sometimes at the end of the day I just feel so exhausted that the idea of chopping and the idea of cooking something is like, oh this is already too much work. But yeah. it, it, like just chopping up like zucchini and tomatoes, uh, you know, getting a pot to to boil is so it is relaxing. There is something like oddly, you know, therapeutic about it. Yeah. Uh, what other recipes uh, do you like to cook? What's a what's a default for you? It's always pasta. Um, my partner hates it. <laughs> he's not a big pasta person. He is, he's from Greece and he's a big vegetable person. So I've been trying to make more vegetable dishes. Um, but really, I mean, I grew up with pasta. So anything with pasta or with fish or, you know, anything really Neapolitan, um, I make chicken parm, but that's a little bit more involved. I've got to pay a little bit more attention to that. Mm-hmm. I've been trying to make more, um, I bought a La Crusette. This was a innovation in my life because I really believe you can make almost anything you need with a fork. So this was like (laughs) my first big purchase in the kitchen. And I have been chopping red potatoes and onions um, and sometimes throwing in bacon or chicken, whatever there is, and putting it in the La Crusette and just letting it cook while I'm finishing up my day and sitting there and watching it and smelling it. If you leave the top off, that smell you put some garlic and thyme in there, it just like waves through the through the whole house. Oh, that's um, so relaxing. It's so good. I'll throw olives in there. Um, and he's happy because it's vegetables. And I'm happy because it was pretty relaxing, especially if you get red potatoes. You know, they're tiny. They're not quite so much peeling involved. And it's just sort of chopping them up um, into little little um, leaves, I call them, or like little pieces. And yeah. it's easy. It's not hard. Oh, that's yeah. Uh, And it sounds like you're still cooking things that are very familiar, cooking things that are simple, but also branching out into into new things. 
Yeah, he has challenged me with that because I very much grew up in an all Italian household and there was no dieting or thinking about like how much green was on our plate. It was just like, this makes us feel good. This part's from the garden. This part's from our local butcher. Mm -hmm. This is something from like our pasta press. Um, And it was just whatever you had, you ate. Um, And I've had to sort of rethink now as like, you know, I'm, I'm sedentary. My grandparents were not sedentary. I live a very sedentary life. And so I maybe can't eat as much plain white pasta as they do. Maybe I need to sub in whole wheat or, you know, George is very athletic and is always telling me, let's just, you know, throw some spinach in the pasta, just grab some spinach and throw it in. Um, which seems like a a bigger hurdle for me than, than it probably should be. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm very much about like food is the relaxation time and pasta just speaks to that so much. Oh, where it's as super said, comforting. Yeah, and you're it's just soft you're and, in a pot. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost like a I know um there's that phrase when you're being impatient, it's like watching a pot of water yeah. boil, but it is kind of uh it it's it is the act of patience is watching a pot of water boil. It is. And I've come up with like this little routine for myself. Um, I will I will try to start work a few hours early so that I can leave a little bit early and get to the Italian market before the pasta shops close. Yes. And so it has become so soothing that I am walking to the Italian market. I get a cappuccino at Anthony's. Um, I get a bottle of local wine at De Bruno's. I nice. go to Toludo's and I pick up you know, whatever two cases of pasta we're going to have that night. And I throw it into my canvas bag, get some flowers at Walter Pine on the way back. And like, I've set a Friday night dinner table, essentially. Um, And I, you know, we used to have people over at some point that will happen again. Yes, hopefully soon. Um, Hopefully people will will come. Um, And it just like, it makes me feel very connected to these Sunday night dinner tables that my family had while I was growing up. It's not the same. I don't live with my entire family. You know, we're not out on our patio in Brooklyn. Um, We don't have our, my grandfather had this wine and ginger ale cocktail that he had every night that I would make for him, little five-year-old me, like, let me serve you. Oh, that's so sweet. (laughs) It's not that anymore, but it's, it's close. It's pretty close, I think. That's a beautiful ritual, which also sounds like the perfect locals guide for any traveler who's like renting an Airbnb near the Italian market. And I highly recommend like if you want to really have a very local experience, what Anne-Marie just outlined is (laughs) just walking through the Italian market, picking up the local ingredients, picking up some flowers, enjoying a cup of cappuccino or my I like espresso. I'm like an espresso in the afternoon person. I which there's a whole culture Hardcore. of coffee yeah. <laughs> that like, I feel like when I have espresso, it's like maybe the an inappropriate time to have espresso, but, <laughs> but you know, you never I know, you never I, know a, a beautiful yeah. thing that happened last week. I, um, so as I think, as you know, I've been trying to hit up all the local coffee shops. Oh, I that's find right. it to be cathartic to go to them. I like to meet the people in the neighborhood. Coffee is a ritual for me. It, it relaxes me. And I go to all of them, and I was at Three Graces Coffee, um, which is on Passyunk. It's a very sort of New York style, like 
hipster, millennial pink, Parisian-looking coffee shop. Okay. And right behind me, a large Italian man in a tracksuit, like definitely a Brooklyn Italian. I recognize it a mile away because I am one. <laughs> yeah. um, just rolls in and is like, I heard this is the best coffee in Pennsylvania. Like loud <laughs> voice. And like the sweet girls behind the counter are like, yes, what would you like? And they were explaining to him the difference between a Bombolina and a beignet and different types of drinks um, and just such a beautiful mishmash of cultures. And it was one of those moments I had my flowers from Walter Pine and like already had my cappuccino in hand and I was outside with my dog and I'm like, this is so beautiful that coffee and just going to the coffee shop is like a unifying community experience. Yes. So for me, you know, as I, I mentioned when we first started talking, even buying the beans, bringing them home, I know where they've come from. I know who packaged them. Making it at home for myself still feels like that connection to my community as well as this time to breathe and take it all in. You're touching on something that's actually like really beautiful. And though the idea of idleness almost sounds like it could be like a very alone and social or a, a alone activity an an activity that you're um not isolating yourself but like kind of you know taking yourself mm-hmm. out of an activity but it sounds like you're kind of taking yourself out of an activity but into a community because you were mentioning at the top of this podcast that like in the Italian culture, it's when people would go to the town square and when they would drink wine and they would socialize with one another. Can uh, Dolce Farniente like also include just being social and being out in the community? Oh, yeah. And I, I do this thing where I am out in the community, but I don't necessarily have to talk to anyone. George makes fun of me a lot. And when I used to live in New York, I had the great luxury of living in a building that had a courtyard. And I, you know, after a long day, I did not necessarily want to go out and speak to people, but I wanted to know they were there. So I positioned my chair so that I was looking over the courtyard and I would watch the movie nights and the barbecues and the birthday parties and the events in the courtyard and felt like I knew these people. And I felt like I understood what was happening in my building and in my community just from like literally sitting in a chair watching them, which sounds <laughs> sounds creepier than it is. George is always like, why are you just watch, eating popcorn, watching the movie from the window? Why don't you go down and talk to them? But you know, for someone who's just starting out or someone who needs that alone time, you can still be aware of what's happening in your community. You can sit in your town square too without talking to anyone. You can yeah. sit around the fountain on Passyunk and watch people play checkers, or you can sit in Washington Square at 7 p.m. and watch the many, many increasing dogs that come out at 7 p.m. <laughs> now because everyone's got a pandemic dog and be a part of understanding what's happening around you without having to expel that extra energy because so many of us are just spent right now. Oh, yeah. It's so funny that you say that. I had a little bit of a moment like that with John this morning. Our, uh, you know, we watch our community. We, we've, we're we home all the time now and we have like an abundance of window, windows yeah. compared, to, compared to a row home in Philadelphia where only windows were on two sides, the front and the back of the house. We now have like 360 windows. <laughs> and, you know, our neighbors down the street, like catty corner to us, 
are having a yard sale and John just like kept walking over to the window and he's like trying to see from a distance what they have. (laughs) And I'm just like, John, just go over there. Like he loves yard sales. He loves antique shops. He loves like that type of shopping. That's his like Dolce Farniente is like, I love it. Looking for, you know, random comics or toys or, you know, collectibles. And so he's like looking out the window and I'm like, why don't you just go over there? And he's like, I'm window shopping. <laughs> it's true. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so so many of us just we're on Zoom all day and even though yeah. we are alone, it takes energy. It's very performative. And just having the opportunity to see people but not have to be performative is yeah. so relaxing and I mean that's that's part of going for a walk too, right? That's why I like that you can see people but you're like I'm going somewhere. I'm I'm very busy and you're, you know, in motion. But you're out and seeing people and it it can be really nice to just see another human. That is. It is. So it sounds like all of this luxurious relaxation is, you know, it's hard to peel yourself away from. Uh, But the reality is, is like sometimes we do got to get back to work. So what's the moment? When do you know when you've been spiritually recharged? When do you know is the moment where it's like, okay, I feel better. Let's you know, I'm inspired to work. I feel like I can be productive. Like when do you know when to get back into the swing of things? I don't think I've reached that yet. I don't know (laughs) that I am relaxing enough yet to pull myself away. I think I could probably do a bit more relaxing. Um, Just thinking about, you know, my family in the square back in Italy and how that was such a big part of their day. But I am trying to be smarter about meetings and scheduling because in my field, there are meetings for the sake of meetings and then a meeting to follow up on that meeting and then an extra meeting to schedule the next meeting. And it's ridiculous. Um, And they're all 30 minutes and then you've got to go to the next one. And I talked to someone yesterday who was late and she's like, I'm sorry, this is my sixth half hour meeting in a row. There is no way you can retain any of that information and you are stressed because you are late and you're, you know, your your shoulders are up around your head, you're not listening, you're tense, your body hurts. You're probably thinking about the next meeting. Exactly. And-, and then like what you forgot from the last meeting and where do you have to be? So I have been trying to be very, very smart with my scheduling so that the relaxation time is not something I have to pull myself away from, but something that is just a scheduled part of the day. So I have been doing, um, instead of 30-minute meetings, 25-minute meetings so that there is a buffer. And I am stopping it. It's not like, hey, guys, let's maybe try to wrap up now. No, 25 after, we're done. Anything else can be in an email. Um, And like thinking about agendas and thinking about what time things have to be done by. And if I've got extra time, don't just waffle, but go sit down, go recharge your brain, go take a walk to the coffee shop, go exercise your body. And just being smarter about the full scheduling so that as Jenny O'Dell says, it's not like the relaxation is negative time in your day. It's a very important scheduled piece of everything else you're already doing. Mm, I like that. That, yeah. So it's, it's not necessarily work yourself until you're drained and then you need to actually force yourself to take a break. And then, you know, once you feel recuperated, dive back in and uh, try to squeeze out as much as you can, but rather building it into your day as part of your routine 
Exactly. Um, I, re- I like that. Is is this being embraced by some of your teammates? Yeah. You know, media has a lot of burnout right now, unfortunately. People are, are tired and people who care in particular are sort of being driven out of the industry, which is really sad. So the more and more people I talk to, I go to conferences quite often. I'm you know, in, in Slack groups and, and chat rooms and group chats. And more and more people are like, what are we doing? What's our downtime? So there is, <laughs> there are a few groups of people I know who have Dungeons and Dragon groups. And oh, they, cool. I know people who you would never like top executives at pretty important media companies are like, I have to go to my Dungeons and Dragons group. <laughs> Yo, um, those campaigns can be extremely. You got to be dedicated to the campaigns because these serious. are games. Yes, they, they these are games that like carry on, and uh, it's a com- Dungeons and Dragons is a commitment. So power to them. Yeah, yeah. I, I tried to go over a friend's house once, and she's like, "We can't go in. My partner is doing Dungeons and Dragons right now. Can't take them out of the fantasy. <laughs> exactly. Can't walk in the house. He's busy. Um, Listen, there's this I campaign. A dragon showed up. Like, <laughs> I I love that they do that. That's cool. Um, we have a group at the journal. We have a gardening club where we all got master class. Um, subscriptions and we've been watching Ron Finley and he is a treasure. Um, if you have not watched that masterclass, I highly recommend it. He's like, is, he the, urban, is yes. he the urban gardener? Oh my goodness. Yes. 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 He's like, kick your boyfriend out, but keep his shoe. You can plant in his shoe. You can plant in this old suitcase. He's I love just, it. It's accessible. And the, the, the videos are five minutes long. So we watch yeah. them and then we talk about what we've done together. We show each other our plants and just talk outside of the day. And that's really nice. Um, there's a lot of things like that going on that I know people have sort of like side groups and there's some wine clubs and happy hour meetings and it's nice. It's nice to get out of work and remember that the people that you are with all the time are humans as well as like the person who is doing whatever task for you. Thank you so much, Anne-Marie, for sharing the joy of Dolce Farniente with us. If any listeners out there have any tips or favorite ways of doing nothing and embracing the nothingness, let us know on social media by tagging at Pod on Instagram and Twitter. You can also follow Anne-Marie at TravelingAnna on Twitter and Instagram. And if you want to reach out to me personally, I'm at Kehlani Says. Amuse-Bouche is hosted by yours truly, Kehlani Palmasano. At the moment, I'm working as a one-woman band, producing, editing, and bringing these amazing food stories to your ears. So if you like what you're listening to, be sure to subscribe. Believe me, you're not going to want to miss the amazing guests that are coming on the show in the next few weeks. The music at the beginning and the end of this podcast is by the Great North Sound Society, and the song is called South Street Strut. A little nod to my Philly folks out there. For more food stories and recipes, check out the Amuse-Bouche newsletter on Substack. It's a free newsletter at the moment, but I do accept tips, so consider helping a sister out by throwing her a few bucks a month. And if you'd like to be a guest on a future episode of Amuse-Bouche, feel free to slide into my DMs or hit me up on Substack.